Well, good morning, guys. That's a little, little loud. We'll bring that down just a tiny bit. Is that getting better? That's good. That's good. Let me close this door for us. Not that the sound of construction isn't one of God's greatest noises, but... Well, good morning. How was breakfast? Yeah, I did myself a favor and skipped it this morning just so I wouldn't feel sluggish as I... T- what Do we have uh, breakfast meats, eggs, what did we go, bacon this morning, sausage? Mm. Nice. Oh, biscuit and gravy crush. That's one of my favorites. It's my, it's my kryptonite, but afterwards I feel slow. Uh, well, my name is Jason Andrews, and uh, so as I uh, just talked a little bit last night about... Um, been up here at Hume for five years. My wife Tiffany and I moved up here in 17, um, and uh, I was originally the adult ministries director, and now this last summer became the program director, so it just basically means, as many of you had in your jobs have happened to you, it's like triple the responsibility for the same pay. So you guys know, yeah, you remember that? Um, and so it's, uh, it's such a joy to work not only with our adults here, but also with our youth team. Uh, I first came up to Hume in 1989. Uh, I was what's called a super senior, which means you come after your high school uh, experience is over, but right before you go to college so that you can get one more shot at glory by winning rec competitions against smaller kids. Didn't really work for me because I never crested 510, so, uh, but I did come up here with my girlfriend uh, and, and her church. Didn't know anyone at her church, but I came up because I was in love. We'd been dating for an entire month. And um, <laughs> she broke up with me the first night before the opener uh, we had gotten off the bus, we had been off the bus for a couple hours, and she broke up with me on the rock that's outside Ponderosa Chapel, which will be there until the end of time, because it's this massive rock. So I was like, I'll never come back to Hume, this is the worst place in the world. And God, in his infinite humor, uh, in 93, I started working at a church in Irvine, and where do they go to summer camp? Hume Lake. And I'm like, that's the rock, right there. Um, and so... From 93 until 2017, I've been up here every summer, uh, bringing students up here in high school ministry and fallen in love with this place. Um, had no idea the scope of, of what Hume did, really, until I started working up here. And I'm just uh, excited to work in this organization. Uh, so like I said, we've been married, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. Um, the f- we'll talk about it a little bit more, but like the first few were just rough. Like, I don't know if, if some of you guys who are married just nailed the marriage thing right away. Um, not me. And, uh, and so that, that was a difficult time, but, but God has been merciful to us. And uh, have two sons, a 23-year-old who lives down in, in Orange County area, uh, got his business marketing degree from Biola, and of course, he works at a flooring store. So it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> but he's, he's managing it, and, and uh, He's doing well, and then my younger son, Brady, is, uh, lives up here with us full-time, works in our video department, so he's the one walking around with the video camera this weekend and uh, does recording for Hume and, and is getting his cinematography degree. So uh, anyway, God, God's been real good to us, but a little bit of, of background about our, our families, which I think is helpful. Um, I grew up in a, a home where my parents loved us, and they took us to church, and and, and, and I'm not complaining, like all things considered, right? Some of you have come from much worse backgrounds than I did. My dad was a little absent, a little distant, and my parents um, nicknamed themselves the Bickersons, 
uh, because they would just bicker all the time, and there would be these arguments. And I remember vividly, like, my dad peeling out down the street in his work truck while my mom was, you know, crying in the bathroom and this whole thing. And my brother and I grew up kind of in that culture. Uh, my wife came from, like, the Leave it to Beaver family. You know, like, it was, it was Jude and Ward Cleaver, you know, slippers out by the door when Ward would get home. And this, like, beautiful picture of sacrifice and service. And so she knew nothing of dysfunction, uh, really, in marriage. And, um, but that all came crashing down for her when her mom died when she was a freshman in high school. And which then um, caused her to just kind of run from the Lord for a little bit. I was sprinting from the Lord in, in high school, although I had grown up in the church. And so then when we met in college, both of us had, best, had begun to put our lives not on our own accord or merit, but back together with the Lord's mercy. And so we came into marriage with this, this like, I'm never going to be like my parents. And she's like, it's going to be exactly like my parents um, had it, and and it was uh, quite a mess for the first few years as I tried to overcome selfishness and brokenness and bad tendencies and all that kind of stuff. But then God did something really sweet in our marriage, and around year four or five, just began to to grow us in our love for Him. Um, we had just surrounded ourselves with some really good teaching and influences, and and had been growing. And what we didn't know was that God had really was spending the next you know, 10 years or so preparing us for some difficult times in our life. And so, as I mentioned, um, my wife's mom died when she was a freshman in high school and uh, of breast cancer, and it was very fast, very aggressive. Um, just from diagnosis to her passing was, was just not real long at all. And of course, um, then she was on a high watch list for cancer herself, my wife, and had started screenings pretty early. Um, and then um, through a series of lots of situations, which I won't get into, we, we found out about 10 years ago that she had uh, breast cancer as well. And it started off as very like, hey, this is, it's, it's nothing, it's not a big deal, it's, it's very small, and we can probably just do this or that. And I won't go into all those details, but then we found that it was, it was aggressive, and it was in the pathways, and this, all this, this stuff. And like, our world just came crashing down in so many ways. In just so many ways. And, 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 and let me just spoil the end of the story. She's, she's doing great now. So be, before you think I'm going to end with, you know, something terrible. Uh, so, but, but, and so some of this is, is in, the, in what seems like distant past, although there are fresh memories of it almost on a daily basis. That feeling of being completely just crushed and, and, and is my wife going to die? And she's diagnosed at the same age that her mom was diagnosed at. And every test result that we needed to be a yes was a no. Or like everything that could go one way went the, went the bad way. And there was a time in the middle of this where we were just, God, what are, you, what are you doing? And my story, probably very tame compared to some of your stories about crisis uh, and death of loved ones or difficult things that you've gone through. So I'm not here to say, look at me, look at the suffering. I'm basically Job. Like, right, like that's, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. Uh, more than that, what I'm trying to say is, I think in the middle of this time and then in other difficult times that we've experienced in our lives, God has helped us learn some things and helped me learn some things about, about myself, about him, about life in the midst of difficult circumstances. And we've been going through those a lot in our timeline here in the last couple of years, right? 
I mean, I'm sure there is a lot of loss and suffering that has occurred in your lives in the last couple years. Maybe loss of life, maybe loss of relationships, loss of jobs. Um, heck, if you've been watching the market for the last six months, definitely loss of money. Um, and uh, and then in these difficult times. And so the, the principles that the Lord helped us learn prior to going through this time with my wife and then during that time, I think are transferable. They're not some, wow, you've never heard this before type of moment. But I think that as we pressed into him and we, we just surrounded ourselves with people who spoke truth into our lives, these are some of the things that, that we discovered. Um, and I think that God was merciful to us in that through the difficult times of our marriage, he was actually preparing us to get through this and to come out stronger and to be an example and a light for those around us. And so uh, five things. If you're taking notes, great. Sorry, I was going to make handouts, and I'm like, I don't know if guys are going to keep these or use them. We're going to find them all over the ground later. I, so if, if you want to take notes, uh, it's also recorded, and so um, we'll cut out all the negative stuff about my parents, and then we'll, we'll <laughs> in case my mom, my mom listens to it. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, just kidding, Mom. Um, you were great. Uh, so... Um, but if you want to take notes, five things, and, and again, you can listen to them again if you want to write it down, but here's the first one. Um, as, as humans, right, we can, um, if we're honest, be pretty, pretty lame sometimes, right? Guys, like if we're honest with each other, we can be, we can be pretty lame sometimes. We don't take the commands of, of God seriously. Uh, we're lazy. Uh, maybe sin drives us from obedience. Sin causes us to erect false gods in our lives that we worship instead of the Lord, um, that destroy our ability to learn as God desires for us. I'm going to go on and on, but we're, we're, we're pretty broken. We get that. And I think all of these things find their root in a similar place. And that's this idea that if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of believing that we are the point. And so, like, my first point of these five points is that you're not the point. You, you, your life is not the point of this whole grand scheme of what's going on. Uh, it doesn't revolve around you or doesn't revolve around me. God's greatest desire is not to bring you comfort. God's greatest desire is not that you uh, would have everything that you want. Um, how many times have we heard a sentence start with this, well, I'm, I'm sure that God wouldn't want me to, and that those never end well. Those sentences never end well. I'm sure that God would not want me to not be happy. I'm sure that God would not want me to, you know, like, you know, have this new car. Like, I'm sure that God wants me to this. Those just don't tend to end in biblical places. Because as soon as we begin to put our construct on God, rather than the Bible's construct, it just goes sideways. I, I'm not the point. You're not the point. Our relationships aren't the point. Your kids aren't the point. Your marriages, your interests, your job, they're, they're not the point. So let me, I'm just not making this up. Let me just talk from Scripture for a little bit. James, in James 4, 13 through 15, says, Come now, those of you who will reason and say, Oh, tomorrow we're going to go do this, or we're going to trade this, we're going to make this money, we're going to do this. He says, You don't know what tomorrow holds. You're a vapor. You're a mist that quickly fades away. And it's like, oh my gosh, that hurts. God, did, did James just go off the, the rails here, or is this what you wanted him to say? You really wanted him to say that we're a, a, mist, uh, a, mist, uh, a mist or a vapor? And it's like the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you need to understand 
that when you make all these plans about tomorrow, or you're not in control. This grand narrative is not about you. Or Psalm uh, 144 says, What is man, O Lord, that you should even think about him? He's like a breath. His days are a passing shadow. Isaiah in chapter 40, All flesh is like grass, right? And what, is the, what happens to the grass? You guys know this verse. The grass withers and the flowers fade. And then it talks about the word of the Lord is what endures forever. And then uh, in Acts 17, if you have your Bibles, turn there. We'll be flipping around to a lot of different passages this morning. Acts 17, Paul is speaking in Athens, and he's at the Areopagus. And if you remember in Athens, he had seen this, um, this uh, idol to an unknown God, and, and he's talking about their religiosity. And then he says, men of Athens, uh, in verse 22, I perceive in, in every way that you're very religious. Uh, he goes on to say, I found this altar with the inscription to an unknown God. He goes, what you therefore worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul's about to drop knowledge here. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, and I love this, as if he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So, so Paul is, is speaking, and he's like, I, I, I see that you've, you've made this statute an unknown God. Great, but, but what's unknown to you, I'm going to make known to you. God, who exists above everything in this world, he, he, he does not exist based on the fact that humans worship him. He doesn't exist because we build idols for him. He doesn't exist because we build a temple for him. He doesn't need anything from us. So I, I don't know about you, but I feel like the message is pretty much loud and clear from Scripture that, aside, that, 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 that in opposition to us being the point, God is the point. And humans, and this is not meant to be lowering or degrading or demeaning, but we're defined as blades of grass, puffs of air, like really not able to do much of anything on our own. And this is in comparison, not to your worth as a person, but in comparison to the sovereign God. So let me give you an illustration. So uh, I'm, I, I love movies. I've, I've watched way too many movies in my life. Um, and some, some I'm just way too embarrassed to admit that I actually think we're good. Uh, but you've seen movies? Okay, so, so, so picture this. I'm just making sure we're on the same page here. You've seen movies, right? So pretend that you have a friend whose um, like, desire is to be in movies. Like they just, like they, all their life they want to be in movies. And so they literally like, they go to Hollywood and they're like doing the whole thing. And, and they're, they're like the maintenance repairman in a, in a commercial, you know, and all you see is their back carrying a dryer and they're like, they think they've made it big, right? But then they, you finally get that call, and you're like, they, they're like, I did it. Man, I have finally broken into Hollywood, right? And so there's a screening of my movie coming out. You're not going to believe it. It's awesome. And so you sit down with them, and, and then they had the whole room set up and the big, huge TV. And they're like, you watch the screening of the movie together. And then you're like, I, I, you're thinking to yourself, I, I didn't see him. And then he turns to you and goes, what do you think? Ah, you, and you're like, I, I don't. Uh, and he goes, I mean, what, just tell me, be honest. Give me feedback. And then you're like, I don't think I saw you. Like, what do you mean? And they rewind back to, you know, and there's like a mall scene. There's cops chasing the bad guy, right? And they run through the food court. And then you're like, 
yeah, I still didn't see you. And then they're like, no, 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 go back. And then they freeze it. And here they are in all their glory, man holding coffee. Right? You've seen the credits, man holding coffee. And there he is. Sure enough, there's your friend right there, coffee cup like this, side profile, sitting in the food court as the, the stars run by him. And then he's like, yeah, tell me what you think. Like, how sad would you feel for that person? Like, right? Not that they were confused and their role got cut, but they actually thought that, that they did something there. That's, I think, in some ways, God's view of us when we try to take center stage. And he's going, oh, this is awkward. How do I tell you? You're not the star. You're not the point. You're not even man holding coffee. The Lord is the point. And when we take ourselves out of that role, and when we take ourselves out of the center of our existence, it is so freeing. It is so freeing to realize that the grand narrative of creation is not wrapped around you or your situations or your comfort. Now, this isn't an easy one for us to hear because we often put ourselves in that position of center stage. But God's word makes it clear that, that when we focus on ourselves as the point, then everything around that causes our discomfort is seen as the enemy. Everything that, that around us that causes things not to go our way are an aggravation to us. Everything that takes away from us and our, our, our perfect picture of how things should look cause frustration. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever driven up this hill behind a slow driver, right? And, and we, we, it's, we call it our driveway. Like, I've done it a, a, a thousand times. And when someone is in front of me going slow, it's not just that they're going slow. It's an attack <laughs> on me. It is a targeted attack on me, and they are doing it intentionally. And it just drives me crazy, the rudeness, the, the gall of that, right? Because in that moment, I have put myself at the center. Their feelings, their nervousness of the road, maybe their car troubles, maybe whatever it is is going on in their lives, not my concern. I have become the center of the universe. And we have illustrations like that all the time in our lives, if we're honest. And tell me the last time it's caused you any good. It's, it's never caused anyone good to place themselves in the position that the Lord alone should be sitting. So we have to remember that we're not the point. And as Tiffany and I, as we studied his word and, and listened to gospel-focused messages and, and in the middle of this time, and it moved us away from having just a pure like pity party about what we were going through in our lives, and our focus started to turn more towards God. And that was the first step in this process. S secondly, Knowing God is the key to loving him and being able to trust him in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I know it's a long sentence, but I think it makes sense to you. So we're not the point. And then secondly, knowing him is really the key to being able to trust him and, 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 and uh, find joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. We have to get to know him. I was in church ministry for about 23, 24 years. And, and, and I can't even begin to count the amount of people who struggled in their lives as believers, but at the core of it was because they really didn't know who God was. They were expecting God to fulfill, fulfill promises that he never made. 
And boy, that's a, that's a frustrating place to be where you are holding God to fulfill promises that he has never made. You will find frustration nonstop. God, why didn't you heal my friend? You, you know, you, and, and, and it's like, that's a legitimate hurt, but God never promised that he would heal all of our friends. God, how come you didn't let me get that job? God never promised that you would get that job. God promised that he would never leave you or forsake you. God promised that he would hear your prayers. God promised that, that he would be merciful to us and forgive our sins. Those are promises that he has made. He promises that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. He promises that when we resist the devil, the devil will flee. Those are promises of the Lord. And when we act in faith with those promises, we see him come through. But when we hold him to promises that he's never made because we don't truly know him, this just increases our frustration in the midst of difficult times. And so we need to know what is true about him. And we could talk about so many things, right? This could be, maybe your church is in an entire series on the character of God, his omnipresence, his transcendence, the fact that he's infinite, that he's truth, that he's merciful, that he is just. We'll just look at three real quick uh, this morning. God's eternal. God's eternal. It means he always has been and he always will be. I can't grasp this. Anybody, can you grasp eternity? Like, I just can't. I remember growing up in elementary school, um, the bathroom, and it's one of my vivid memories of my elementary school. The boys' um, the bathroom was on the right-hand side of this long hallway, and you'd walk in, and there'd be the row of sinks, four sinks on each side, each lined with these huge mirrors, and then there was the stalls and the urinals in the back. But in this front part of the bathroom, the sinks on both sides and the mirrors there, if you turned, the mirrors would go bup, 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 like this. And, and because there was imperfections in the mirror, the, the tunnel would slowly curve just a little bit like this never-ending hallway. It was the coolest thing. And I remember standing in that room and saying, oh, this is like heaven. This is like heaven. It's never going to end because you try to, you watch it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and eventually it just fades around this corner and it never ends, right? And that was like this weird illustration of eternity. And I begin to think like, what's a thousand years in heaven going to look like? What's 10,000 years in heaven going to look like? What's a million years in heaven going to look like? What is a million on the scale of eternity? Nothing. It's nothing. And it's like, my mind's blown, right? God is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. His nature is without beginning or end, which means that his attributes have no beginning, have no end. They've always existed and always will be. Psalm 90 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A thousand years is like a watch in the night. So a watch was around four to six hours. So, so a thousand years is, is and, and that's not, we're not supposed to do the math. And be like, okay, so a thousand is to four as a million is, like, that's not the point. The point is, time is, is of no concern for you. You have always existed. He's eternal. And so because he's eternal, the things of God are also eternal. His promises are eternal. His salvation for us is eternal. His plans are eternal, which means that when he deals with you, he has eternity in mind. He can't turn that off. So as he deals with you, he does not have the next 36 hours of your life in mind. I mean, he, he does to some extent, but he's got a much bigger thing in mind. 
as he deals with humanity, he has eternity in mind, eternity past and eternity in the future. Again, going back to we're not the point, we're just like a little blip on that whole uh, canvas that God is working on of eternity. He is eternal. And as he deals with us in eternity, he is omnipotent. You guys probably know this word. It just means uh, he is all-powerful. Whatever he plans, whatever plans he has, he has the power to carry them out. I mean, I'm, I'm not omnipotent. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Like, my, my, my motorcycle uh, was, the, if you know anything about motorcycles, in the carburetor there's a thing called a float valve, and it was stuck in the down position, which means when I turned on the gas, gas was just flowing through my carburetor all the way out onto the ground, and I, and I couldn't stop it. My plan was to fix it. Mm-mm. Not happening, right? Because I'm not omnipotent. Right? It's the dumbest illustration. It's a tiny little carburetor. And, and I didn't want to take the time to tear it apart, which I could have. I just wanted to fix it. But guess what? I'm not omnipotent. Couldn't fix it. There are, I, I, could, I could do an entire seminar called Things Jason Can't Do. Right? And it's far bigger than the list of things Jason can do. Because I am not all-powerful. All My plans don't always come to fruition. But God's always do. And aside from just being all-powerful, he's also finally sovereign, which means he has the authority and that it's, it's in his nature to carry out his plans. So it's one thing to be all-powerful, but then to have someone constantly telling you you can't do it. Or to have all the power in the world, but no, no authority to carry it out. God has both the power, the omnipotence, and the sovereignty, the authority to carry those things out. I love Psalm 115.3. This is one of those like, Grab your Bibles, get a highlighter. I know some of you don't write in your Bibles. This one, break the rules. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. I mean, think about that verse. Our God is in the heavens, Psalm 115.3, and he does as he pleases. No one else in human history has ever just done as they pleased. They may think they have, they may have for a, a while, maybe for a couple moments, they just did whatever they wanted to, but no one has ever been able to do whatever they wanted to. Only the Lord. Jeremiah 18 tells this uh, in, a, in a beautiful picture. We don't have time to turn there. I'll, I'll paraphrase this for you. So Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah is struggling with uh, the prophecies that the Lord has called for him to go, uh, the prophecies of destruction, right, on, to, to declare. And so the Lord says, Jeremiah, let me help you out. Come on down to the house of the potter. So in Jeremiah 18, the Lord invites Jeremiah uh, to come down and, and, and watch the potter at work. So Jeremiah walks down to the potter's house, and there the potter is crafting something on the spinning wheel. And, and I, uh, last time I did pottery was in, like, second grade. So anybody throw, you throw clay? Anybody? Because that's really cool. Okay, well, maybe you can pick it up. So next year you can do a demonstration for us. Um, he, he's watching the potter craft something, and then the text says that it became spoiled in his hands. So he was, he was going for the vase. I mean, when I was a, in second grade, I made my parents an ashtray. They don't smoke. Um, but it was the only thing that I could push. I was trying to make a cup, and I think it ended up being an ashtray. Right? So he's making this vase, and then it's, it's kind of getting wobbly or whatever. And so he crushes it down and then throws it back and reforms it into something else. And Jeremiah's like, okay, what's going on with that? And the Lord says, Jeremiah... Here's the deal. I'm the potter. You're the clay. 
I craft whatever I want to craft whenever I want to craft it. And if I'm making something and it's not, it's not what I want it to be, I'll tear that thing down. I'll make it again. And, and if I want to build up something beautiful, if I have aces, if I have a declaration for someone or for a, a nation, for a people group, that they're going to have uh, uh, abundance and then they turn for me, and I'm like, nope, I'm taking that away. That's my call. If I, prof- I want you to prophesy destruction, and they turn towards me, and I bring abundance on them, that's my call. Because again, I'm the potter, you're the clay. Paul says in Romans, is the clay going to talk back to the potter? <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys played with Play-Doh growing up, or ate Play-Doh, or smelled it. Like, right? You, you remember probably how it smells right now. Never once... Never once, as I, even when I put the Play-Doh into that thing where you push it down and it comes like spaghetti out, never once did the Play-Doh talk back to me. I would have freaked out. <laughs> never once did like, I don't like that you're making me enough spaghetti. I want to be a boy. Right, I, I just, that never happened. And it would have freaked me out. I'm so glad it never did. But it just, it never happened because that's ridiculous. And Paul knows that. It's why he uses that illustration and says, whenever has the clay risen up to talk back to the potter? It doesn't. Now, again, this is not about your value or your worth or to take away the fact that you're made in the image of God. This is for comparison's sake to the sovereignty of God. We are not the potter. We're the clay in the hands of the potter. Now, going back to my point, knowing God is the only way that we can really truly love him and thrive in the midst of difficult times because if we don't know him how can we trust him how can we be that clay on the spinning wheel going yes lord make me craft me into whatever you want if we don't trust him i mean it's terrifying this idea is terrifying unless you know and believe what the psalmist David talks about in Psalm 100, Psalm 107, Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Or Jesus in John 10, 10. The thief has come to steal, steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. Right? Or Psalm 145. Listen to his character. Turn there with me. Psalm 145. Just let this, like, just wash over you. Psalm 145. We'll just read a few verses together. David says, I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Why? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to one another and declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the frame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I mean, just one nine-verse passage should give us enough about the character of the Lord to trust him. But there is so much more uh, depths to be plumbed in the character of God to understand his nature so that we can trust him in the midst of difficult times. I um, was, like I said, I was a a youth pastor, and um, oftentimes my Sundays wouldn't end. Like, they would start pretty early. I'd get to church around 6.30, and then around noon is when church, second service would officially end. But then there was like the, 
youth pastoring things. Like, I got to put the youth room back together. I was part-time janitor, you know, also, because that's what you are when you're in youth ministry. So I'm, like, sorting chairs, cleaning up stuff, you know, and then, like, different things. And so I remember one day I got home, especially that I hadn't eaten, and so I was hangry. Uh, you guys know that. Um, you'll never experience it at Hume, ever. Um, but at home, I had gone basically from 6 a.m. I think I had smashed a donut in the, the church cafe lounge thing, donut thing. And so, but 2 o'clock, I'm home, I'm hungry. I walk in the door. So from the garage, I open up the door, and the first thing I see is a ground beef styrofoam tray right there just on the ground. And I immediately knew. As I open the door, our entire downstairs living room is covered with the contents of what was a very overfull trash can. And there, in all of her glory, was our golden retriever, Abby, just fat and happy, and having gone through the entire trash can. I mean, it's like coffee grounds, the beef thing I talked about. I mean, not just like like male flyers. Like, no, these were, this was hardcore food stuff everywhere. Now, Tiffany is home. She's upstairs. Both my boys home, upstairs, right? I come in, and what is my first thought? I cannot believe she left this for me. Of all the rudeness. I'm, I'm hungry. It's been a long day serving the Lord. And she's sitting upstairs, probably just like watching soap operas, eating ice cream, laying on the bed, full stomach, just waiting for me to come home to clean up the mess. I was hot, right? Just like, just angry. And I go, Tiffany! And then the Lord says, hey, stupid. (laughs) Might want to dial that back. Real quick. And, and, and the Holy Spirit in his love and goodness for me, let the words that were about to escape out of my mouth come whoop right back in. I took a breath and said, you're not going to believe what Abby did. Because in that moment, and, and this is like a microsecond of time, the truth about who I knew my wife to be flooded back into my mind and I realized she wouldn't do this. She wouldn't do this. My, my boys would totally do it. <laughs> like, if they, <laughs> I no doubt. <laughs> but Tiffany would not have done this. And so I knew that the only rational explanation is that this happened while she was already upstairs, right? So, but only because I knew her character. And you, you, you understand the illustration there, that, that in the midst of that trial... Had I not known her character, it would have been maybe even a fair assumption that she would have just left it for me. If she was a stranger, I'd be like, maybe they're a total jerk. Like, I don't know. But when I realized that this was my wife at that time of 20 plus years, I knew there was no way that she had done this. And so in the same way, as we go through these difficult times, when we know who God is and we know his character, we know that he is for us and we know the promises that he has made for us, and we are living and resting in those and not false theology about who he is or what should happen in our lives. That helps us persevere in the midst of difficult times because then we go, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. And, and every day we can look at the news. Every day and say, I don't understand. 
How did this happen? Why is this happening? What's going on here? And so we can either go to the really dark place of just like, then God doesn't love us. God's not in control. He's not sovereign, whatever. Or we can go back to, God, I don't know this. I don't know how this mess got here, but I do know this to be true about who you are. Okay, so we took a lot of times on those first ones. Let's kind of go to three. So first one, you're not the point. Secondly, knowing him is the, is the key to being able to trust and find joy in the midst of difficult times. Third, true joy is found in Christ, not in our circumstances or in the blessings that he gives us. So true joy is found in Christ, not in our circumstances or in the blessings that he may choose to give us. I love this truth because it reminds me that the greatest source of my joy cannot be taken away from me. The greatest source, what should be, the greatest source of your joy cannot be taken away from you because true joy is found in Christ, not in circumstances or the things that he has chosen to bless us with or chosen to remove from us. So we we may have incredibly difficult seasons, but our ultimate joy can't be stolen or removed. Psalm 16 tells us that in his presence, there's fullness of joy at his right hand and pleasures evermore. Listen to 1 Peter. Don't, don't turn there. Just listen to this for a second. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. If you're a believer, if you have received the gift of salvation, these are words spoken over you. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his grace, great mercy, so according to his great mercy, here's what's happened. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed for a last time, and revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. Look what God has done for us through Christ the life that he has given us, the hope he's given us, the inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and being kept by God for us. In this we rejoice. But the verse goes on. Some of you know that it does. You know that I stopped early. In this you rejoice, comma, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. So the, the, the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so, so Peter is reminding us of what we have, though, and, and that we should rejoice in it, though for a little while we're going to be going through trials of various kinds. I love that word, trials of various kinds. Those may be brought on, self-inflicted wounds, right? You guys ever had trials that were self-inflicted? Mm-hmm. Every man nods his head. Mm-hmm. And then there's also trials brought on because the world's broken. Creation is broken. Paul reminds us in Romans that all of creation is longing and groaning for the return of Christ, for things to be made right again. So there's brokenness in our world. There's hurricanes and tornadoes, and um, there, there's, there's the sins of others that affect us. Various trials. But in all those various trials, we rejoice because of what God has given us. This is what we've been given in, in Christ. He is our prize, right? The beauty of the gospel is that you get Christ and his righteousness. He gets your sin and the wrath of the Father. 
in the most unfair exchange ever. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel isn't that we get God and then he makes things good for us. We get God and then we get the promotion. We get God and we get a better marriage. We get God and our kids obey us. We get God and things go well for us in our investments. We get God and we have health. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we, 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 we are reconciled with the Father and that we get Christ and he is our prize. And true joy is found in him and not our circumstances. We have hope not because something better is around the corner. Oh, please, man, don't ever fool yourselves into believing that the reason that we have hope is because that things will get better. That's not a promise of God. You'll set yourself up for very great difficulty in your life. The promise of God is not that something better around the corner is coming, but, but because Jesus is better. And we have him, and he is better than anything else, circumstances that we may encounter in our lives. As um, my wife and I pressed into some of these things and taught us to find joy and delight in him, I'm telling you, the cancer journey was very, very difficult. But in the midst of even the, the, the worst days, I'll never forget. Good, good Friday morning of Easter that year, uh, we woke up and, and the, the clumps of hair on the pillow were just like getting there too much, right? And she had already been fitted for a wig and the wig was kind of in the corner of the room on the styrofoam wig thing, which is freaky, <laughs> right? Been sitting there kind of staring at us for a, for a week or so. And I remember waking up and, and we just kind of said, is this the day? And we're like, it's the day. So on, on Good Friday, about two hours before our church's Good Friday service, I shaved her head. I'm bawling. She's bawling. I mean, it was just crazy, crazy emotional. And I remember just, just going, and I'm like, my hands are shaking. I've got the clippers, and I'm going, you know, the, the clean cut all around. And I'm thinking, first of all, she is a good-looking bald lady, right? That was like one, one of my thoughts. But then she tries on the wig for the first time. It was, it was so hard. But in the midst of all this, there was still a joy. And I'm not going to pretend that it was something like we were, we were like awesome. But the Lord had been, began to heal us in this area and teach us to find joy in him. So where are you finding your ultimate joy? Like where is it found? If it's in your circumstances, you're, you're destined for disappointment and failure. If it's in a relationship, like they're going to let you down. If it's in your job, your career, your, your, your affluence, your possessions, it's just they're all fading. True joy is found in Christ and him alone. Fourth, every circumstance in life can be an opportunity for worship. And, and I'm going to say it again. Every circumstance in life can be an opportunity for worship. And, and I'm, I'm going to say it to myself one more time. Jason, everything in life can be an opportunity for worship because I stink at this. I'm, 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 I just, we had this big argument with our college son last week over, over his grades. And um, after that was all done, I was, I was hot again. Like just, I, I, I kind of like that. Like I go from Bruce Banner to Hulk in like super fast. So I'm, I'm pretty heated. And guess what then I went into my room and did? Worshiped. No, I'm just kidding. I did not. Oh, no, 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 no. Because worship is not my first response in the midst of difficult circumstances. I have to remind myself of this all the time. 30 minutes after we served the, re received the news of cancer, and we were in the corner booth of Subway down in Fullerton, crying in the corner over our roast beef sandwiches. 
worship was not on my mind. Not at all. Uh, when I find out, when I found out last year that my dad's got um, uh, the form of cancer and early onset dementia, like, again, not worship. Like, right? When difficult things come, it's not my first go-to. And so I'm not trying to shame you if you struggle with that as well. I'm trying to remind you that, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be human to have some pretty bad responses to difficult times. So work through those and then begin to ask the Lord, how is this an opportunity to worship you? I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not encouraging you to never have a negative thought, right? That's ridiculous. But after that first initial wave comes, I believe that there's biblical precedence for worship even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Um, we, we have just a second of time, and so I know you probably know the story of Job pretty well, but turn there again. Job, Job, um, Job chapter 1. So if you're new to, to the church or maybe haven't gotten much into the Old Testament book of Job, uh, Job was a man who was upright. He was, he, was, he was rocking it. I mean, like, no fault found in him type of thing. And in this interesting dialogue taking place in, in, uh, in the heavens, uh, the Lord and Satan have a discussion. It's a very, just really interesting passage. God and Satan are talking back, and, and, and God's like, like going, hey, have you seen Job? Pretty awesome. And Satan's like, yeah, I've seen him. I don't think he's that big of a deal. I, mean, I, just, I just think he's got a lot of good things going on in his life, and so of course he loves you. And God's like, go for it. Oh, please, God, never tell Satan that about me. <laughs> like, first of all, I'm trying to live below the Job bar <laughs> so that Satan never tries to, like, make an example out of me. <laughs> like, I'm just, oh, right about here is good. And Job was way up here, and God's like, go for it. Just don't, just don't, like, take his life. That's terrifying and also very difficult for me to understand. But here's, here's then what happens. So, um, I don't know how to, just to kind of recap all this. Verse 13, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. There came a messenger of Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians um, fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So, this, like, the livestock are gone. And while he was still speaking, another servant runs in and says, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. And the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So the, the donkeys and the oxen, gone. The sheep are gone, which tells you about the power of the devil. I mean, like crazy, right? And then, uh, but all under the sovereignty of God. And while he was still speaking, another said, The Chaldeans, Chaldeans came and formed three groups and made a raid on the camels, and they took them and they struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating, drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And the, remember, the donkeys had just been killed uh, and, the, and the oxen. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they're all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So in a matter of moments, four messengers come to reveal that his entire life outside of him and his wife has been just destroyed. And Job, verse 20, arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. <laughs> naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, like, good grief. Like, my difficulties in life are nowhere near Job. And this is not to say that Job was a perfect man. And if you read the next 30-some chapters, you'll know why. But in this moment, Job responds to the Lord in the midst of his difficulty, and he worships. So how is this possible? Like, Because I don't think I'm topping Job on the difficulty scale of life. But I think the key to understanding this is understanding what we talked about. One, you're not the point. Two, knowing God is the only means that we can trust him and have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. And then true joy is not found in our circumstances or in our blessings, but in Christ alone. Now, again, it's easy to say, difficult to live. I understand that. James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, right? You know this verse. Because the testing of our faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. Or Paul in Romans, one of my favorite passages, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall what? Be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Paul makes this list. He starts to list things. He gets about eight things deep and then just says any other created thing. Like the list is too long. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. So when we are in the midst of these times, when we are, maybe we're, we're walking the lake and we're, we're absorbing creation or we're looking up at the stars um, and, and we're seeing this incredible thing that God has done for us. We see the creativity of him in creation. Um, do we, is it easy to praise him? Yeah. Yeah, that's, those are great times when we're just blown away by all of the great and awesome things that he has done. It's easy to praise him, but in the midst of difficult times is when it becomes more and more difficult, but yet every circumstance is an opportunity to worship him. Every circumstance. And so you can probably start to think in things in your life, and maybe you even just want to fight me right now. You're like, tell me. Tell me how in this one I can worship. Tell me in this one how I can worship. And I can't answer all those questions for you, but here's what I promise you, is that as you truly break down the situation of what God is doing, and then you start to realize what God has promised and who he is and his character and the truth. So let's just, let's just give a quick example. Um, how many of you have money invested or had money <laughs> invested and, and you've seen as the markets dropped from 30-something, 30 35,000 down to like 29,000, you've seen a drop in your retirement? Yeah. So um, you have a retirement fund. Like how crazy is that? You have money set aside for a day in which you hope to no longer work. Now, it may not be enough anymore. It may have never been enough, and you might be working until you, they make the box for you and you go on the ground. But in the midst of that, I mean, just, in, just think for a second. In comparison to human history and human reality in our world today, you have money that over the course of your life, in some sort of way, whether, whether small or big, you've been able to put aside for, for a, a day down the road. That's, that's unreal. What a blessing. God's got this, right? He's not going to be surprised. He's not going to be like, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're just going to suffer and die the rest of your life. I mean, like, he's got a plan for us. It may be difficulty. 
but in the midst of all these things, we can still worship him. And then finally, and we'll, we'll land the plane here, um, the, the time to prepare for difficulty is not in the midst of difficulty. Okay, the time to prepare for difficult times is not when you're in the middle of difficult times. So um, up here we live in, in, in the winter, we, um, we'll get big snowstorms, right? And so I've got some pictures on my phone that are just crazy where cars are just gone. Like the car's just gone. It's just there's snow everywhere. Nonstop shoveling and all this kind of stuff. And, and Caltrans does a good job of doing the roads and we plow our roads and stuff like that. But still there's the need to put chains on. And so I remember I was going away on a trip. And I don't know about you guys, maybe your wives are the chain putter honors. Anybody? You sit in the car while your wife goes and does the chains? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, no, babe, you got it. You got this. Radio, heater. Like, no, it's always, it's the dude, right? Like, just taking the box out of the chains out of the box for the first time, going like, okay, this goes. Right, right. So I did not want my wife to experience that. So I was going to go away, and we were expecting snow. And so I said, hey, uh, it's dry. It's like this, right? But we were supposed to get snow the next week. Let's go out to the parking lot and put chains on the car. And I'm going to teach you how to do it. And she's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, like, just trust me. This will make me going away. I'll feel a lot better if I know that you know how to put the chains on the car. So we go out into a, onto a dry concrete thing, right? And we practice putting on chains a few different times so she can know. Because the time to practice putting on chains is not in a blizzard. Like, that's not when you do it. And that should not be the first time you snap that little uh, zip tie off the top of the chain box. You know what I'm talking about. And open up the chains for the first time and try to read instructions. You see people on the side of the road up here all the time in the winter. They're like, you know, like this. And we're just like, oh, Lord, please let them survive wherever they're going. So my wife and I practice this because the time to practice preparing for difficult times is not in the middle of difficult times. As we... Like, I, I just, right, when do you make an evacuation plan? When the fire's raging? No. When do you practice earthquake preparedness? Not when the earthquake's happening. Uh, when do you change the battery on smoke detectors? Right? <laughs> Not while the fire's going. I mean, like, you try to do it in advance, and it's always middle of the night, right? Um, as we press in the Lord and we read his word and we seek him in prayer, many times the things that we learn are not what we need for that moment. You guys ever experienced this? Where you're, you're in the Word in the morning and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm reading. and Okay, yeah, I'm not really sure, God, what you want to do with that, so let me know what you want to do with that. And then, like, four weeks later, you're like, oh, I read that. And then you're going back through and you're like, oh, that's exactly what I need. God doesn't promise that every single time we open up his Word, that the, the, the problem of the second will be solved by what we read that very moment. But he does promise his word does not go out in vain. He does promise that as we read and press into his word, that he will be preparing us. And so we, we push into him. And we recognize that often God is shaping us for an unknown future. God is shaping us for some moment down the road that we have not yet come into. And be so glad for that. Be so glad that our learning and knowledge about God doesn't just happen in the moment of our crisis. Sometimes he uses those to teach us more things about him. But man, if we can prepare for this in advance. And some of you are like, yeah, too late, bro. I'm in the middle of it. That's okay too. Start pressing into these things, understanding that you're not the point. Understanding that you got to get to know who he is so that when your world does begin to crumble, you don't go to false gospels. You don't go to false uh, ideologies about who God is or promises that he never made. We don't go there. 
we remember that true joy is not found in our circumstances or in the blessings that he may choose to give us. Because as we are clay in the potter's hands, right, that God may choose to do something different than we thought. And we don't get a voice in that. We prepare for difficult times, not in the middle of them, but in advance. And we remember that every circumstance can be an opportunity for worship. So the great revelation of the morning, right, doesn't come in understanding that life will be difficult. Like if you you haven't experienced that yet, just wait. (laughs) But I'm sure you have. And there are men in this room that could tell you story after story after story after story of the fact that life is difficult. But the great revelation, the aha moment comes when we witness God in the midst of those times being faithful to the promises that he's made for us and growing us and maturing us and even causing us to be a light and witness to the world in the midst of difficult circumstances. Carolyn Shook, one of my heroes, she was on my high school staff for about 13 years and then developed a rare form of cancer and the entire church got to watch her suffer and eventually pass away over a two-year painful process. She was the single most influential person in our church for this two-year span of time because of the way that she suffered for the Lord in the midst of difficulty. Praying nonstop for her to be healed. Watching everything in her body begin to shut down and betray her. And yet to the moment that she died, even to the point of writing out her entire service for her memorial service, to the song choices, to the things that were said in between. And it was like a dance party. Everyone had to wear lime green because it was her favorite color. No ties were allowed. And she had like, like newsboys songs that were like pumping and this whole thing. And no one was allowed to cry. And it was like just crazy. She was such a light to the world around her, even though God did not answer any of our prayers for her healing but she was such a light for our church in those times and to have our high school students watch her suffer and eventually pass away and and you'd think this would be a thing that would cause their faith to be hurt but it wasn't it just exploded because she understood these things and she preached them and she modeled them and she lived them and her husband tim and her sons her two boys got to just grow immensely in their faith during this time. I know it's rare. That may not sound like that's going to happen a lot, and it certainly won't if you find joy and contentment in your circumstances or in your health or your blessings. It's got to be found in Christ and Christ alone. So every difficulty in life, whether brought on by the fact that the world's broken, by your own sin, or by the hardness of other people's hearts, every circumstance, all of them, I repeat, all of them are opportunities to see God work because the potter, As we mentioned before from Jeremiah 18, the potter is not reckless or finicky, fickle, just messing around. But the potter is worthy of our trust. And it's it's in his hands that we are being formed, not in the hands of some other person who can mess up or who doesn't have sovereignty or is not in control or is not kind or loving or merciful or just. We're in his hands. And whatever he's doing, as hard as it is, we can trust, we can find joy in the midst of those times. I, um, I hope that this time is an encouragement for you, uh, but more than that, I, just, I hope that this spurs you on to something else. Like it's one thing to walk away and go, good seminar, some good points, great. I hope this leads you into a, uh, a deeper pursuit of getting to know who God is 
and again, I, 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 I want to say this. I said at the beginning, I want to say it now. I do not come to you as someone who's gotten this all figured out. Like, I regularly stink at this. And I have to keep reminding myself <laughs> about who God is, about what he's promised, what he hasn't, what he, what he has, as we work through difficult times. And, and honestly, I'll close with this. It's not good news. <laughs> There's nothing in Scripture, <laughs> nothing, that makes me think things are just going to get better. Like, that's just not how, as, as things start to wind down in our world, there is no portrait or picture by which then everything just gets better. <laughs> Difficulties just mount, and they become more difficult. Yeah. And so how do we as believers respond to that? How do we prepare ourselves for that? Let's pray. God, thank you for these men. Uh, Lord, for their willingness to come and to learn and, and to sit. And um, it's been easier to go and, and, and maybe not be here or just to walk or sleep or try to get Wi-Fi somewhere. Uh, but God, for them to come and to learn and to uh, be challenged from your word, you are um, the promise keeper. You don't just make the promises, you keep them. And Lord, even though we can't see them, and I feel like more and more in our culture, I am less and less truly understanding of what you're doing and what your master plan is. And there may be more times like that and, and wondering how long will you tarry and how long will, uh, how sideways will our culture go or the world go. But God, you are sovereign, you're in control. And when those difficult times not just hit people that we know, but hit us square in the face, God, help us to respond as men who desire to see you for who you are and to give you praise and worship, not because our lives are easy, but because you are on the throne. And that, that alone is enough for us to worship and give you praise for. So God, change this in us. Refine us more. Continue to sanctify us into an ever-increasing uh, in, uh, reflection of your son. God, we thank you for the work of your spirit in our lives. We pray that you continue to uh, allow us to be, or cause us to be malleable in your hands, to be shaped and formed into what you want to make us. God, we give you praise for this weekend, for this time that we can gather. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, thanks guys. You got about 23 minutes, uh, and then we'll start over in there.